This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Welcome to a podcast from Joy's jazz show, Bent Notes. Tune in live each Sunday night at joy.org.au. My special guests on Bent Notes are getting together to create a trio that you could call unconventional. Trumpet, bass and piano accordion. They look at this trio as an opportunity to be playful and intimate with their music, something that they say allows them to reinvent the sounds of their own instruments with each new track that they play. Eugene Ball from the jazz world, Ben Hanlon from the classical world and Anthony Schultz from the jazz and folk worlds got together and they recorded an album to be launched at the end of June. It's called The Land of If. So to find out where this land is and if we can visit, it's my pleasure to welcome to Bent Notes, Anthony Schultz. Hi, David. Ben Hanlon. G'day. And Eugene Ball. David, thanks for having us. A pleasure indeed, Eugene. Musicians from the jazz, classical and folk worlds getting together to create music. How do you describe the result? That's a very good question. I'll field that if you don't mind, uh, Ben and Anthony. I mean, <laughs> please. To, to, to say that we're from the jazz, classical, and folk worlds is is a little misleading. I mean, we have to give labels to these things in order to try and you know communicate them even slightly. Uh, of course, we're all extremely broad musicians. Ben plays lots and lots of jazz. He had a an album come out recently with James Sherlock, which. Uh, unfortunately didn't get launched because of the fresh COVID lockdown and of course Anthony plays lots in the world of improvised music and composed music as well and yeah I'm a broad musician as well so those, those labels are there to just kind of help communicate things a little bit certainly those are our uh, main traditions if you like and I think the result is something that is exceptionally broad and does resonate with our you know main focuses you've sort of led on to my next question eugene does it matter to a musician what genre tag you play under because really music is music i totally agree with that and and i'm sure ben will have something to say about this because you know he's among the most diverse of us but yeah as i say, i think genre tags are you know kind of convenient labels in reality they don't really mean much Ben, what do you think of that? I think I think genre tags are both convenient and inconvenient. Convenient for a listener to have some expectation of what they're going to hear. Inconvenient for musicians because they can feel like they're boxing you into a certain idea where it, I think this album sort of falls between the cracks of all three while representing all three traditions you've mentioned. Really to a musician, it, it's just about the piece itself and crafting something you're really proud of and whether it's then best labelled as jazz, classical or folk, is more about preparing the listener for what they're hearing than something meaningful to us. I think we're more about making pieces we're proud of that represent our musicianship and feel organic and natural to play together. And I think this album has that. Anthony, where do you come from in terms of this question of genre? Yeah, <laughs> I find this a very kind of loaded and complex um question and it it i think with all the ensembles that i've played with over the last i don't know 10 15 20 years the vast majority of them have really struggled to place themselves 
within a genre. Because of that, it's often made the ensembles difficult to promote, difficult to sell to festivals, difficult even over dinner to explain to somebody what it is that we do. And, and I think for me, it's particularly loaded as an accordionist because most people only need to see an accordion to Im immediately imagine that they hear the streets of Paris. You know, nothing could be further from the truth often. I really struggle with this, with the notion of genre, David. As the three of you have grown into musicians, learning, playing and experiencing, of course, a range of musics, has your perceptions of the differences between genres changed? Is, has your perception from when you were younger changed to where you are today? I feel quite strongly about that, about that question because, you know, my beginnings were in traditional jazz and I was a... Uh, I vehemently self-identified as a traditional jazz musician when I was quite young. It wasn't until I was in my sort of early 20s that I started kind of expanding out into other genres. And the more and more I do it, the more I have grown to think that the way I approach playing music, if I'm playing in a you know free improvisation context, it is very, very similar to the way I approach playing traditional jazz you know from the 20s I, I i think that the syntax or something is slightly different but the feeling and the intention is exactly the same so when i was younger i think there were very very clear differences in genre in my mind but as i've grown older those distinctions have become to be, uh, have crumbled and i i think of it all as the same thing now because it's to do with you know the energy that you approach playing music with and the openness that you approach playing that music with. Does our education system today support our up-and-coming musicians to appreciate what you three have learned over the years in terms of genre? Why don't we throw that over to Ben, who is less involved in the teaching sector than Anthony and I are. I think you might have an interesting take on this. I think it's a really interesting question. And just to, to go on from what you said, I think that there's a lot to learn about any genre of music or any style of music. And there's a lot of respect to be played to the tradition itself and understanding the style and how to play it and what the language of that music is. And there's a lot of time and effort to be spent learning that, which I think Eugene, Anthony and myself have all done, whether it's in my case, learning you know, what are the, the things you need to be listening for and playing and bringing to Baroque music or swing or trad jazz or modern jazz? They all have a tradition and you need to be listening and working towards understanding that. And I think that my biggest challenge with music in the educational sector is that particularly early on in your university degrees, you tend to get into um, academic concepts of music very early without necessarily spending as much time on the craft and technique of an instrument. And that's, that's a very broad statement. It's not necessarily true for all programs. But for me, I think that we would be best served by helping students with the fundamentals of their instrument across a broad range of ways of playing. On the double bass, for example, it would be advantageous to any musician, whether they're thinking of being classical or jazz, to be able to play pizzicato and bowed, arco, to a very, very high level and to have a strong idea of technique all over the instrument so that any music they approach, they're able to thoroughly enjoy and play and get the most out of. I think that when you pair that with strong traditional ideas or 
new ideas, it's ideal. But for me, I've, the main focus for, for most students really should be on becoming as accomplished on their instrument as possible so that they can realise any musical aspirations they have in any genre or style. And some more crossover between departments, for me as someone that's always been fortunate enough to do that, always studied classical and jazz concurrently, but had to fight a little bit to find schools that would allow me to do that. I think it would be advantage, advantageous to any uh, student to have more flexibility. And the reality is being a professional musician these days, flexibility is, is sort of a prerequisite. Even if you play in the Melbourne Symphony like me, we, we play all sorts of different music. It's not just one particular time period or one particular style. We will change within the space of a week or a program from ultra-modern to, to swing to... Uh, you know, more traditional orchestral repertoire and you need to be able to do that. And I think the same is true as a performing jazz musician or in any genre, really, that you just need to be having the broadest skill set possible. So I would advocate for that. And does that broader experience early on give you huge benefits later on? Well, it certainly has for me. I was really lucky that in both my primary school and high school learning, I was able to be in an orchestra, in a jazz band, in a rock band, and obviously instrument limits that to a certain extent. I was lucky to play the bass, which allows you to do a lot of that. But having programs that were very open to me experiencing as many different styles and ways of playing as possible really early really helped me to have a skill set moving forward and an understanding moving forward, even just an appreciation of people that do things that I don't necessarily want to do myself. And uh, I think that's always a good thing. With the three of you getting together, using the labels of jazz classical and, and jazz and folk, you're really building together your individual experiences over many years across a range of genres. Yes. <laughs> well, that's right. And as you're saying that, David, I was thinking, I mean, I mean, it's the three of us doing that, but it's also the three of us doing it within ourselves as well. So there's kind of like this multi-layered sort of musical genre sort of melting pot that takes place. And, you know, I mean, I think of all the things I've playing, as I, as I was saying, over the last 10, 15, 20 years, and the same will go for Ben and Eugene. So we're sort of grappling with and dealing with all these things that are going on in our sort of inner musical lives and then also bringing them all that sort of musical baggage let's call it comes with us to the rehearsal and to the workshopping of the repertoire and so on. I think we should talk a little bit more about this particular group and the music you're producing but I reckon we should have a listen to a piece first Eugene, what piece do you reckon we should have a listen to and why is this a good example of what you're achieving in the group? Well, we might listen to a tune of mine called Plod, Plod, Stumble, Plod. I think this encapsulates what we do in that it's partially composed and there are elements that are definitely improvised in the jazz tradition and there are definitely elements that are improvised in the sort of free improvisation tradition. It's also got elements of you know, European folk music in there. So I, I think Plod, Plod, Stumble, Plod is a, is a great example of the kind of thing we do. Then again, most of the tunes, well, all of the tunes are very different from each other, so it's very difficult to pick uh, something that's truly representative. Let's have a listen to Plod, Plod, Stumble, Plod. My guests are Eugene Ball, Ben Hanlon and Anthony Schultz. You're listening to Bent Notes on Joy 94.9.
You're listening to a podcast from Bent Notes. Find more podcasts and show blogs at joy.org.au. On Joy 94.9, you're listening to Bent Notes, where my guests are Ben Hanlon, Anthony Schultz and Eugene Ball. Gentlemen, the album that you're about to launch at the end of uh, end of June is called The Land of If. Where is The Land of If? <laughs> so this is actually a, a named after a composition of mine, which of course is on the album. And many of my compositions have a sort of a, a literary reference. And The Land of If is a reference to a Paul Auster a novel called Invisible, in which he kind of reflects on things that might have been otherwise if his life had gone differently. So that's The Land of If. Right. And so this music is talking about doing things differently? What do you mean exactly, David? If his book is talking about doing things differently, are, are we saying here that the music from uh, Ball, Hanlon, Schultz is also doing things differently? <laughs> I think that's a wonderful way to think of it, David. The landscape that we're dealing with musically is something new and I maybe for me you know to sort of take your idea and run with a little bit is that the nature of this ensemble is that the pieces will definitely you know unfold differently every time they're performed so there is this sort of constant uh, sort of shifting sands of how the pieces will be experienced by us and by the audience in every performance. In the description of your music you say that the project allows you to reinvent the sounds of your instrument as part of this reinvention of what you just spoke about, I suppose, in a sense. What do you mean that you reinvent the sounds of your instruments? I'll go with this one as well, just as the accordionist on the ensemble for starters. One of my sort of life goals is to explore the piano accordion in, you know, sort of in, in all its sort of marvellous ways. It's one of these instruments that has so much capacity for expression and different sort of ways of, of projecting sound and producing sound. So an ensemble like Ball, Hanlon, Schultz, you know, when I'm playing with Ben and Eugene, because they are such beautifully nuanced players, it allows me to also explore that element of the accordion as well. So I'm not just hitting a note and projecting it. It's a whole thought process in terms of how the note is crafted and how I blend with the double bass or how I blend with the trumpet and so on and so forth. That's part of the reinvention for me anyway. Requiring that reinvention to take into account the fact that you've got two other people playing in the ensemble. Mm, absolutely. That's exactly okay. right. And I think also, you know, for instance, for Ben Hanlon, you know, the, the traditional role of the bass is to underpin the harmonic progression of a piece, is to, you know, just play tonics and fives and, and, and join them up with, you know, a nice walking line or something like that. And there are many, many occasions, so many occasions on the album where, where that is not the, not the role for Ben. And he's a melodic instrument. He's a virtuosic soloist. You know, he's not sticking to the traditional role of being a bass player. Similarly, there are moments where I am not playing the traditional role of being the melodic voice. I'm being something else. Ben, how do you feel about getting out there and being able to, what, what should I say, show off the instrument? <laughs> 
Oh, look, I love it. And um, <laughs> obviously, it's really enjoyable. But at the same time, I think one of the great joys of this ensemble is that I think if you think of accordion, bass and trumpet, there would be a certain sound that comes to mind, that the bass is going to be underpinning, that the accordion is going to be providing the harmony and that Eugene's going to be playing a melody. And while we sometimes do that, the real fun of the ensemble is the interplay between breaking down those prescribed roles, each stepping out in different pieces to, you know, be the soloist, to play the melodic line, to have the trumpet playing an accompaniment, to have the accordion playing just a single line on top while we provide the harmony underneath. There's a lot of fun to be had in exploring the sonic possibilities of the ensemble and just trying to find ways that wouldn't necessarily be predictable to do that. And it's really enjoyable from a, you know, a virtuosic playing the bass high, playing the bass, you know, with a, a range of different techniques. But it's also just fun from a musical perspective of finding a new way to bring a sound from an ensemble that's already sort of not traditional, which is very enjoyable. And I'd have to say that uh, your generosity of allowing me to have a listen to it pre-launch, uh, I have enjoyed immensely listening to what is a different sound with the instruments, as you say, taking different roles to what would be a traditional role for those instruments as you've just expressed, and I've enjoyed it immensely. So thank you very much for that. Thank you. The album is being released. Actually, the album should be released now, shouldn't it? And it would be available from Bandcamp and Earshift, so bandcamp.com, earshift.com. What do we search for when we go looking for it? If you go to Bandcamp and you look for Ball Hanlon Schultz, and Schultz is S-C-H-U-L-Z, no T. I got in trouble for that many, many years ago. <laughs> Anthony, I think he's learned his lesson. He has. It's wonderful. And, and here is a public apology. Um, <laughs> so Thanks, Eugene. Apology detected. Paul Hanlon Schultz in either Bandcamp or Earshift, it will come up. There has been a slight technical hitch with our release through Earshift, so we're working hard to iron that out as quickly as possible. We'll be getting it uh, launched through Earshift as soon as we possibly can, any day now. Fantastic. And then, of course, on Saturday, June the 26th, you'll be launching the album at the Christchurch in Glen Lyon Road in Brunswick. Why launch an album of this nature in a church environment as opposed to, say, a jazz club? The fundamental reason there is that you know we're an entirely acoustic ensemble. We don't need any sound reinforcement. In fact, it's much better for us to play without it. And all we need is a room that sounds wonderful for an, from an audience perspective and sounds wonderful from our perspective. As a trumpet player, one of the hardest things is continually playing in very dry rooms. Jazz clubs, for instance, are you know often heavily carpeted, so you know the sound doesn't travel very far. You know, from my perspective, I don't get much love back from the room. I, I feel like my sound just kind of comes out of my bell and just drops to the floor. Whereas if I'm playing in a nice live room like a gorgeous church, I get plenty of me back and I, that, that actually makes, me, makes it much easier physically for me to play. I don't have to work as hard. And I think, you know, in terms of the group, playing in a generous, warm sounding room like that makes the sound much more homogenous and makes it, you know, yeah, more fun for everybody. An outcome, I suppose, of working in any church building is that they usually have very nice acoustics. For this kind of thing, absolutely. I, I wouldn't necessarily put a, an ensemble with bass and drums in a church. That tends to not work. But uh, anything without drums uh, can certainly benefit from the generosity of those rooms.
Well, gentlemen, thank you very much for your time tonight here on Bent Notes. Do appreciate each of you taking the time to have a chat about the album and the project, Land of If. More details from ballhanlonschultz.com. That's ballhanlon and then schultz, S-C-H-U-L-Z.com with launch gig details from mjc.org.au. Gentlemen, I wish you all the best for the launch on Saturday, June 26 at the Christchurch in Brunswick. It's bound to be a fantastic night. And again, thank you very much for your time. Thanks very much, David. Thank you, David. Cheers, David. My guests on Bent Notes have been Eugene Ball, Ben Hanlon and Anthony Schultz. They are Ball, Hanlon, Schultz. You're listening to Bent Notes on Joy 94.9. You've been listening to a podcast from Bent Notes. Join us live each Sunday night on Joy 94.9. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.